where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. I always get such an incredible kick out of that intro. Thank you so much. That's Ryan Treasure. Ryan is my co-producer and he's the VP, I say, of everything at Voice America Radio. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, if you think the future is already here, uh-uh, you're wrong. That was yesterday's future. Get over it. We're all here, every one of us now, to make this future for today. And it's going to happen any second now. I do have to say that during the show, I'm going to be introducing you to a brand new sponsor who has a special contest and challenge for developers around the world. We've never had an advertiser like this before. So get ready for that. If you're listening, stay tuned. If you're a developer anywhere in the world, or if you know a developer, in about 20 minutes, I'll be giving you this blast and it's going to be a lot of fun. So let's get started here. I have an amazing panel with me. I don't use the word amazing often because I think it's overused, but today it's true. So if anybody saw the finale of the TV show Mad Men, I binged it. I think I took about... uh, five weeks to watch the whole series when it was all on demand. The last, the finale was a scene of people on a hill and Don Draper was somehow oddly doing a Coke commercial and the song was by the New Seekers, I'd like to teach, I'm sorry to sing, the world to sing in perfect harmony. Okay, I won't sing anymore. Just let that sink in for a second. Now I have a quote from U.S. President Jimmy Carter. He says, we become not a melting pot, but a beautiful mosaic. Different people, different beliefs, different yearnings, different hopes, different dreams. So if you can sense where I'm going with this, we're not talking about singing today. We're talking about multiculturalism, about breaking down boundaries and borders and belief systems, about immersing and integrating and innovating people to talk and get to know each other and embrace whatever they want from each other's backgrounds and cultures and worlds. I have a a quote here uh, that was provided to me by a Canadian social psychologist, actually one of our panelists sent me this. His name is John Barry. This was a quote from an article he did in Psychology Today. And he said, multiculturalism is dependent on both the cultural maintenance by immigrant groups. Think about that. Cultural maintenance, meaning what are they doing to preserve their culture? And the cultural acceptance by the host societies where they go. Strong cultural maintenance by immigrants and weak cultural acceptance by a host society leads to separation and marginalization, a word in the news a lot. No, this is not a political show today. Conversely, weak cultural maintenance by immigrants leads to assimilation into the host culture. We want something in the middle there. So through media globalization and cross-border connectivity, which we're seeing all over the world, technology is indeed playing an integral role in balancing cultural preservation with flu cultural exchange. And this creates a real-time multicultural experience. I'm hearing something going by a bus or something sounds like fun. So we have four people on the panel who are going to share their opinions, their insights, and their future, their predictions with us. We have Court Stroud, we have Sarah Carberry, we have Diego Lastra, and we have Anna Crandall. And we're going to ask them for their take on no more Tower of Babel or Babel, if you like to say it that way. Multiculturalism, the media, 
and technology. So welcome, 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 welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thrilled to be here. And let's get the party started. I have four. I'm on Zoom and I just love doing radio on Zoom because I get to watch my guests. I get to see how they think. I get to see their emotions. I call this nuanced radio. I have to copyright that court. I really do. So Court Stroud is up first in court. We have to do a shout out to Susan Corso, who introduced me to Eddie Sarfati, who is your husband. And Eddie introduced me to you. And on and on and on. And the chain just keeps going on. So Court Stroud, I'm going to put you on full view, on speaker view. Why don't you introduce yourself briefly and tell us what does what do you do? What's your background? I know you have some radio and podcast history of your own. And what's your passion for the topic? Court, welcome. Bonnie, thank you so much for having us on today. Very excited to not only be on the show and to talk about technology, but also to talk about multiculturalism, which is a passion of mine. I grew up in um, uh, a primarily Hispanic neighborhood in San Antonio, Texas, and then a multicultural neighborhood in Austin, Texas. My um, stepfather, the man I consider my father, was Native American. So I grew up in a, in a family that um, my parents' marriage would have been illegal just a few years earlier before the loving decision. And so because of that, I've always, and, and one of the things is I saw discrim- racial discrimination up close and personal because um, my dad uh, was very dark of skin and we would go up to counters, for example, at a, a retail store. And I saw this over and over again. The uh, customer service person would talk to my mother, a blonde haired white woman, and ignore the dark man who was standing beside her, assuming they could not be together. So that's what has led me to some of my passion about the multicultural marketplace. I started working in multicultural space in 1990, uh, working at a Spanish language AM radio station in Houston, Texas. I've worked for, I worked for Telemundo, I worked for Univision, I worked for Azteca, I worked for a number of digital um, startups um, in the multicultural space. And so for me, one of the things is, is that I'm, I, I'm very concerned with trying to create a more equitable world. And I think that multiculturalism is a way to achieve that. That one of the things that you can look at is, I love the, the whole topic of this, No More Tower of Babel. There was a time in, in the United States when the theory was that there was a, um, um, a, um, a melting pot theory about, about the country, that folks came in and they would assimilate. That's mm. long gone. The idea is we're more like a tossed salad. A tomato gets to be a tomato, a piece of lettuce, a carrot. Everybody gets to keep their identity, but it all comes together to make one salad. And um, so uh, what I'm doing now is I'm a consultant. I'm an adjunct teacher teaching classes like diversity in media and advertising. And I'm just delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Court. And I have to thank you vociferously and and with open arms for bringing this panel together because you got everybody together. I think we just lost Sarah for a second there. She's coming back. Okay, Sarah, there you are, my dear. Sarah, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Take a couple of minutes. I know you have a fascinating background as well. I wish everybody could see Sarah. Uh, I wish everybody could see Anna and Diego and Court. The smiles, the energy they're bringing to the show is just wonderful. Zoom, thank you for this. I really I should have started doing radio on Zoom years ago before the pandemic pushed me to do it. It's just amazing. Sarah, you're up, pers- up front, close personal. You're on speaker view. Please tell us who you are and what does this topic mean to you, Sarah Carberry? Thanks, Bonnie. Thrilled to be here. And I, I'm representing a lot of folks at Google uh, who really are dedicated to this topic. So um, I'm, I'm an ambassador of sorts. So thanks so much for having us. And um, the big smiles are because it's you're so infectious in terms of your personality. So so it's um, it's a thrill to be here with you. 
And so I kind. Think, uh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't pay Sarah to say that. So thank you. No, she did not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it started for me when I was very young. Bonnie, I come uh, from a wonderful mixed heritage. I have, uh, I'm truly um, what you would call an American from, you know, the 1600s. I have family here. I've been here a very long time. Um, you know, I've, I've racial mixture. I have black heritage. I have white heritage. I have uh, Cuban heritage. I have Native American, so indigenous. So I really am kind of a representation, I think, for where we're going as a country. But I've always had, uh, I maintained a connection to so much of the culture, especially the Hispanic culture. Um, and and for me, that's that's just been kind of a part of who I am and shaping who I am. And when I go back to when I was 17 and 17 Magazine at the time was every <laughs> girl's go-to, right, yep. on your nightstand. Yep. And before Connected TV, before mobile phones existed. And so I'm dating myself right now. But, you know, I always thought, well, where are the folks that look like me? You know, and, and there were always just, you know, really a white America and in what was t- depicted in pop culture. So my quest um, and my, uh, you know, thirst for trying to really change the game and, and bring more of an inclusive, you know, society to um, to recognize there's an opportunity here. Sarah, I want and you to hold your hold your uh, speaker a little bit away from your mouth. We're getting a little bit of audio over uh, like a tingling noise. So go ahead. Speak, uh, sure. Great. So, you know, I think that um, dating back then, and then I always had a cultural curiosity. I, I studied abroad in Spain. Uh, I went working at Google. I worked at Google 16 years. I worked in the Latin America um, division in which we were really helping to bring digital best practices down into those um, emerging countries. Um, and it, so it's been a thrill for me. Um, court, I also worked at Univision, so recognizing the Hispanic market you know, in the early days. This was, um, I would say, late 1990s, early 2000s. So I had a wonderful experience, um, really always gravitating to, towards the subject matter. And now at Google, uh, I'm leading the multicultural strategy and solutions and sales team in which we're endeavoring to really elevate the value and importance of multicultural consumers, recognizing that um, we think that they're going to really be the bridge to how we think about recovery, especially at this moment. Uh, in a in a COVID or post COVID world, so um, that's what really gets me out of bed in the morning, gets me excited, gets me energized. And I'm working with so many business leaders who are coming to us and saying, "Google, what do you know? How can mm-hmm. how do we think about this? How do we engage with these consumers? What should we do um, in positioning our brands? And and how can you help us?" So that's really uh, at the core of of what our mission is and how we're looking to to help. Thank you very much, Sarah. I'm going to ask you to disconnect and reconnect your audio. And we're going to even have you redo some of your bio when you come back on audio because there was a buzz. We heard you, but we want to get you sharp and clear. So just disconnect your audio or take your headset off and you can even talk into your computer, into your Chromebook. That might even solve the problem. Reset the audio for, well, we're live and this is live reality radio here. You can reset your audio to, to allow you to speak to the internal speakers in your Chromebook and that might solve the problem. So I'm going to move on. Diego Lastra, you're up. Diego, thank you for unmuting. Diego, you've been so patient and we'd love to have you introduce yourself. So you're up up front and center. Go ahead, Diego. 
Oh, thank you very much, Bonnie. I'm super excited to be here uh, with these wonderful people. Um, so I'm a native of Mexico City. I moved here to Dallas, Texas in 96, fresh out of high school. And my dad had an advertising agency in Mexico. So I grew up kind of in that environment. Um, coming here, it was a huge cultural shock. Even though I was in Texas, you know, which is uh, heavily Mexican. But in 96, it was very different than, than it is right now. And uh, it was really interesting because in college, uh, I met a lot of uh, people, Mexican-Americans, who did not speak Spanish, who did not really identify with their Mexican roots. And that got me thinking, why is that? Why is there this pressure to, like Court was saying, uh, to assimilate, to acculturate? Uh, why do their parents not instill their culture to their children? Um, a few years out of high school, I started working at an advertising agency, a multicultural advertising agency here in Dallas. And uh, I was working with people from all over Latin America, uh, a couple of people from Spain. And it was much more diverse. And I started understanding the market from a different perspective. And what was happening at the same time was that we were seeing these huge technology shifts that were empowering people. And I became fascinated by by everything that was happening, right? So if before you only had a few Spanish media outlets and there was this pressure on you to assimilate, suddenly with social media, with things like YouTube, um, with things like WhatsApp, you know, uh, you could stay connected to your family back home in Mexico or El Salvador or Argentina or wherever, a lot easier. And at the same time, Hispanics became cool. And, uh, you know, you have people like Shakira, like Ricky Martin, like Enrique Iglesias, mm -hmm. breaking through to the mainstream in a way that I don't believe had happened before. So that started changing things. And I was fascinated by all these things that were happening, by how there was a lot less pressure to, to acculturate, how people were connecting in all these different ways. It was very, very powerful. And, um, you know, my agency, at some point in the last few years, stopped considering itself a multicultural agency, which was mm -hmm. really code word for Hispanic. And now it's pan-cultural. <laughs> it's not about targeting specific cultures. It's about targeting mindsets, which may be similar across different cultures. And I thought that was so interesting and so relevant. And it's a business model that has worked very well for us uh, because it's true. Uh, we are living in a time where technology enables you to not only have your own culture, but to take the best of other cultures. And it's more about reaching people based on their interest, uh, on what they like, on uh, what they consume, and less on, uh, on their culture. It's not enough to have an ad in Spanish anymore. You have to have some sort of uh, emotional connection. And that ad for Hispanics may be in English, but it may be more relevant for Hispanics than an ad that was just translated to Spanish from English, you know? Mm -hmm. So lots of interesting things like that. And uh, I was fascinated by how technology was empowering people to become content producers and reach these audiences that, you know, who could have thought of a YouTube 20 years ago? Guy with a cell phone can produce a video and suddenly he has a million followers. I mean, not everyone, but, you know, uh, there's people producing very high quality content out there. And it's shattering a lot of uh, the conceptions that we had as marketers and as people, really, about what it means to be multicultural. 
Thank you very much, Diego. You speak so beautifully in so many ways. And I love the way you said multicultural was code for Spanish, for Hispanic. <laughs> that uh, everybody is smiling. It's, yeah, somebody said the truth. Thank, <laughs> thank you. And pan-cultural. And I like the way you said the, the mindset. It's your marketing to the mindset of people. Very, very interesting. I, uh, I'm a drummer. And not by trade, but the past couple of years, I started drumming and I'm in a rock and roll band here in my 55 plus community. But one day I woke up and I said, I want my own band. And I have a, a retired MD who's a, a Puerto Rico native, who's a, a Coast Guard family doctor, uh, just recently retired, but re-recruited. Interesting. And he is a native Spanish speaker. And he came to our rock and roll band. He was playing congas and bongos, and he plays a little bit of trumpet and quattro. And I said to myself, I want to feature him in a band because he sings so phenomenally beautifully in Spanish. And I tried to get people to, no, nobody wanted to be in a, in a band that was playing Latin music. So I called him up one Saturday and I said, Tito, I want to start a band and I want you to be my featured speaker. I love the way you play the congas. I love your, I love the music. I'm a dancer. And he accepted. And so we have Tito on congas and vocals, me on drums, and we have a gentleman named Morgan on bass. And we couldn't get a guitar player. They want to play rock and roll and country and blues. And we play over tracks. And I am being introduced to the most phenomenal, I call it Latin rock music where I can actually have a drum part rather than just tapping mm -hmm. the cowbell and I am learning about like <laughs> and I love the dance rhythms but it's just a riot that I, so I, I tried to recruit more people to bit nobody wanted to play just Latin music and I was fast everybody wants to dance it but nobody wanted to play it as a musician and people told me you will be the only group of that kind in this area there is a great big band that gets big venues but little bands local bands and Anybody want to know the name of my band? Curious? Sure. Red's Hot Mango. <laughs> you know who That's Red beautiful. is. So, and I wear red boots when I drum. So, Diego, thank you for what you said. Anna, Anna Crand, Anna, I'm calling you Anna. Anna, you're up. And why don't you tell us who you are? I, I'm so enjoying getting to know all of you. And Sarah, we'll have you talk again a little after I do my developer ad. Anna, you're up. Talk to me. Who are you? What do you do? Hi, Bonnie. Yeah, well, first of all, just when you thought you couldn't get any cooler, you became that much cooler to me. <laughs> now I'm going to have to follow your band. But um, uh, first of all, I'd like to echo all of my uh, co-panelist sentiments in telling you just how excited we all are to be here to talk about something that all of us are so passionate about. Thank you. Um, my story is somewhat similar, yet very different than that of Diego's. I was actually born in South America, Bolivia specifically. I moved to the States, to Houston, uh, when I was 15. So I moved to Houston, Texas in the beginning of the 80s. So it was 1982. And the world back then was so much different than the world was even 10 years later when Diego came. Uh, I am one of those individuals that actually immediately went through the process of full-on assimilation mm. because being a Hispanic in Texas in the 80s meant being a Mexican in Houston and being Mexican was no bueno at the time. Uh, so my parents were very strict in making sure that I fully assimilated. I actually uh, taught myself to speak English within a, a matter of like three to four months. 
because I just wanted to, you know, feel like I belong. And um, so fast forward to where I am today, I actually ended up going to college in Missouri of all places. So talk of a change of worlds. I was in Maryville, Missouri, uh, immediately after my high school career, where all of a sudden I became exotic. Because I was not only, you know, I looked very different than most of the people that were going to school then. And also, I was from Bolivia. Nobody had ever even heard of Bolivia. A lot of people still haven't heard of Bolivia, which is insane to me. Um, and not, there aren't many of many Bolivians that I can actually speak of. And back then, in the, by then, mid-80s and the middle of Missouri, I was definitely one of one of few. I think there was actually another Mexican person then at the time. But um, fast forward to today, I have been a um, playing the role of an ambassador on Madison Avenue. You alluded to Mad Men earlier yes. Uh, yes. at the beginning of our conversation. I have been, I, up until uh, about three, oh, five months ago now, I was at Omnicom Media Group, uh, one of the big um, advertising agencies. Um, where I actually led the creation of their multicultural offering. Uh, I, I essentially championed the multicultural business imperative uh, internally as well as among the, the majority of our clients. And uh, my job has been and continues to be to uh, help marketers engage with this growing multicultural communities because of what the, the, the business that they represent to those brands. <clears throat> So um, marketer by trade, South American by origin, fully passionate about all things multicultural and uh, really, really excited to be here. Thank you. Court, everybody, let's round of applause for Court for inviting all of you. Court, hey. this is a fascinating group of people. I'm so, I feel privileged to meet all of you. Your credentials, your commitment, your passion, you're so articulate. Diego wants to say something. Unmute. Yes, Diego, go ahead. Yeah, um, is it all right if I plug a project that Court Anna and I are working together? Let me do my ad for my Monday.com sponsor, and then you can do that. Of course, of course you can do that. So hold on a second. Let me just do this because I have to welcome. We haven't had a sponsor in a while, and this is really exciting. I'm going to keep you all on gallery view because I want to see your reactions. So our new sponsor is Monday.com. That's just like the day of the week, but we're not talking about the day of the week. M-O-N-D-A-Y.com. Now, listen, everybody around the world, imagine developing one of the first apps ever in the App Store. Well, we know that ship has sailed, but it sounds like once in a lifetime, opportunity. It's coming around again. Monday.com is an online platform that powers over 100,000 teams daily work, and they just launched a contest to build apps that will be included in their marketplace launch. How exciting is that? Diego's nodding and everybody's nodding. Yes, this is exciting. They're giving away prizes, I'm told, that will blow your mind. And one of them is a car that starts with T and ends with A in the name. I'm not going to tell you what it is. If I wasn't an advertiser, I'd probably enter it. And I was a coder. I was a programmer analyst back. I'm told I'm an early woman in tech back in the days of uh, I was coding in COBOL on, uh, on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 and PL1 on an IBM 4341 in the key punch days. Yes, that's me. So uh, if I was an advertiser, I'd probably enter it. You can be one of the first in the Monday apps marketplace and start building today. And now here's the here's the place you're going to go to find out more information. Monday, M-O-N-D-A-Y.com slash 
forward slash the word future, but lowercase, F-U-T-U-R-E. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Monday.com. Monday.com is a work OS that powers teams to run processes, projects, and build custom workflows in one digital workplace all together now. And we know with the remote workforce, that's very, very important. It's an easy-to-use, flexible, visual teamwork platform, beautifully designed to manage any team, any organization, any process online. It's a platform for teams of any sizes, any industry. It will improve coordination between teams and departments. We all seek that in our companies, enabling teams to move faster and reach their goals more efficiently. You can customize it to your team's specific workflow. It brings teams together. You can plan, manage, and track everything your team is working on in one centralized place. So let me give you what the call to action here is. The Monday Apps Challenge is bringing developers around the world together to compete to build apps that can improve the way teams work together on monday.com. And I think that's really nice of them to say that they're looking for this kind of input, whether it's help for marketing, a construction firm, sales, software developers, anything, anywhere in between any industry. They're looking for impactful, out-of-the-box, simply amazing apps to include and even feature in their upcoming apps marketplace. I want you to all check it out at Monday, M-O-N-D-I-Y.com forward slash future, F-U-T-U-R-E lowercase. That's little letters, not capital letters. And that's welcome. Everybody say welcome Monday.com. Come on together now. Welcome Welcome Monday.com. There we go. And that's the ad. Diego, why don't you speak? No, no product pushes, but you can go ahead and say what you want to say. Go ahead, Diego. Well, um, First of all, uh, I want to say that I started using Monday as a sort of a project management tool recently. Wow. And, uh, I really like it. It's, uh, it's really cool. And it's better than the competing option that we are using at the agency right now. So wow! By the way, this is an unsolicited <laughs> testimonial. I didn't. I never mentioned it before. Diego, thank you. My advertiser will be very happy to hear that. Go ahead. So um, Anna Court and I got together a couple of months ago, and uh, we are working together on a podcast about multicultural issues in uh, in the media, but particularly in advertising, because as you know, uh, advertising is a very very white industry but that's starting to change. So um, if, if anyone wants to uh, take a listen to some of the interviews that we have had, it's uh, the Revolution podcast, and that's like revolution, but with a C, uh, because we think that there's a revolution going on right now in the media and the, the marketing world. And we are going to be talking about some of those things here today with you. Thank you very much. Glad to hear that. Now let's quickly go to our not the quotes, not the quotes, but not the predictions yet. I'm so excited. I can't wait for your predictions. Sorry about that. So Court has sent us a quote from Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. It's a dystopian novel by the Canadian author Margaret Atwood, published in 1985. Hard to believe it goes back that far, isn't it? It's set in a near future New England in a totalitarian state known as Gilead that is overthrown U.S. government. Let's just leave that one alone. Won a lot of awards on TV and actually one of the Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men is the How cool is, how, what, think about that. I opened with the song from the finale of Mad Men and we're talking... Court, you, we didn't plan this, did we? This No, not at all. Oh, my. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps here. So here's the quote. I'm going to, I think it's in Latin, and then I'll read the English version. And Court, you're going to spend, let's keep this really tight because I want to get to the prediction soon. So uh, Court's going to take about 90 seconds to explain this. Nolite te bastardes cor carborundorum. And in English, it's don't let the bastards grind you down. Court, what does this have to do with our topic? Talk to me. Sure. The reason is, is it's, it's very possible for people to see a dystopia in technology or, um, 
or, or the opposite, I'm a utopia. And I think that rather than get stuck in the negative, let's move towards the positive. Let's look towards the good things that technology can bring and work to make anything that is a, a detriment um, to turn it around. Thank you. That was brief and to the point. I appreciate that. Let me let me go back and see now. We're going to go to Sarah's quote, and Sarah has a quote from Albus Dumbledore, played by the late Richard Harris in Harry Potter in The Prisoner of Azkaban, 2004 fantasy film. I think everybody knows J.K. Rowling and everybody knows Harry Potter. So let me just read the quote because this is a good one Sarah has picked. The consequences of our actions are always so complicated, so diverse, that predicting the future is a very difficult business indeed. I can't even read think remotely about doing a Richard Harris impersonation. Sarah, rescue me. How'd you find this one? (laughs) I'm a big fan of Harry Potter. I've read all the books, watched the movies. Can't wait for my two little boys to to experience that series with me. Uh, And it just spoke to me because really we do, we're in in a place where I think business leaders and can make some really significant changes right now that could impact the future. But we can never know what is the right decision. There are many decisions we can take that will lead to to different roads. But I think right now is this moment you can use the the wisdom of the crowds. I think technology is giving us access to so many so much information to make better decisions, uh, and we can actually reverse some of the wrongs that have been done in society previously. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I I, I um, embrace that quote and and find its meaning. Thank you, lovely, and we love movie quotes. We appreciate that. Diego has picked a quote from *Spirited Away*, a 2001 animated film. I have the Japanese letters for how that is spelled, but I wouldn't even begin to tell you I can understand what they are. It's a 2001 animated fantasy film written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki, and blah 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 blah. It is about the story of Chihiro Ogino. Hiragi, a 10-year-old girl, I guess Hiragi is the actress, 10-year-old girl who, while moving to a new neighborhood, enters the world of kami, spirits of Japanese Shinto Shinto folklore. After her parents are turned into pigs by the witch Yubaba, Chihiro takes a job working in Yubaba's bathhouse to find a way to free herself and her parents and return to the human world. And here is the quote, if you completely forget your name, You'll never find your way home. I'm getting goosebumps, Diego. You got to stop doing this to me. Diego, how'd you find this? Is this a favorite film of yours? I've never heard of it. Go ahead. Yeah, it's one of my favorite films. It's an animated film uh, by this guy, uh, Hayao Miyazaki. He's the master of Japanese animation. And it's so beautifully done. Like every frame of the film could be a painting. You know, the animation is so good. But the story is really deep. It's about this girl. She's with her parents and they stop at this weird little roadside restaurant and she becomes sort of a magically transported into this world and the first thing that happens when she gets there is that there's this witch that steals her name from her and there's a lot of things that develop from that point but um, what was really powerful to me is that as long as she remembered that she had a name she had this connection to who she was and where she was coming from and from a cultural perspective your name means a lot, right? Uh, I was thinking when I was trying to decide what quote to come up with about my brother. My brother's name is Pablo. You know, some Americans have difficulty pronouncing that. So when he would go to restaurants, 
or um, you know the uh, hair hair salon or whatever, uh, and you give them your name to put on on the list, and he would say he was John. <laughs> because it was easier for people to say John than Pablo. And I'm like, well, but Pablo is your name. You know, that's who you are. Yes. You will always be Pablo. And uh, a lot of Americans seem to have trouble with my name, which I find very interesting because it's only five letters and there's a major city named like me. But they don't get it. <laughs> Diego is complicated for them. And I'm like, oh, my name. My parents chose it for a reason. And uh, it connects me to who I am. And uh, as long as I'm Diego, I know who I am. And I think it's the same situation for a lot of immigrants and uh, people from different cultures. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I meet people from Vietnam, from uh, Thailand. I cannot pronounce their names, but uh, there's a lot of respect in a, in a name and what it means. Thank you very much. That's interesting. I have a, a panel on one of my business shows tomorrow. I think you'll get a kick out of this. They're calling, we're calling them the A-Team, and I'll tell you why. Coincidentally, the sponsor picked a man named Alex, A-L-E-X, a man named Axel, A-X-E-L, and a man named Alish, who spells his name A-L-E-I-X. Alex, Axel, and Alish all on the same panel. And I promised Alish I would pronounce his name correctly rather than skipping the I and calling him Alex also. <laughs> okay, so we're calling them. But it's interesting. Uh, Diego, I get panelists on, on my business, my Game Changers radio show, sometimes who have European last names that are, let's say, six syllables with about 15 letters in the name. And I have to break them down phonetically in my notes just before we go on air. And I try to always honor them by saying their name correctly. And it's important for me as a host. I'm not saying, well, look at me. I'm just saying it's important for me to honor them by saying their name as closely as I can to the preferred pronunciation. And that leads me to Anna Crandall. I did ask her and we came up with, I could say Anna. And Anna has sent us a quote from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Love the movie, 1986. Is it really that long ago? OMG, <laughs> you're hurting my feelings. American team comedy written, co-produced and directed by John Hughes. Uh, I have too much information here. Matthew Broderick was Ferris Bueller, a high school slacker uh, who skipped school for a day <laughs> in Chicago. Mia Sarah and Alan Ruck. And he breaks the fourth wall to explain his techniques in his inner thoughts. And here's one of his inner thoughts from Ferris Bueller. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop looking right and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Love this, Anna. Tell me how you picked this one. Sure. So I wanted to keep it a little bit light and I'm glad I did. Although um, I, am, uh, I am just so inspired by the quotes <laughs> of my co-panelists that they're giving me chills. Um, the reason why this speaks to me and it has always spoken to me is because I think that we all have a little bit of Ferris Bueller within us, right? We all just, I mean, we just want a day off from our daily routine and really to be able to live and appreciate what life has to offer um, and really to appreciate what life has to offer at, at its fullest. Um, somebody once told me that, you know, the saying, hey, time is a ticking. Well, it's not time that is ticking because time will always be there, but you will not be. So how is that for... Uh, <laughs> that was a heavy I'm way to interpret a light <laughs> quote. I appreciate that. We've also heard the quote, stop and smell the roses. I have a yes. friend who keeps telling me life is short. And I said, what do you mean every day has 24 hours? He says, a few minutes ago, it was 2000. What happened to the past 20 years? So we'll just use your 24 hours. Well, it's not going any faster. But you know, they say as you get older, which I am, well, maybe I am fortunately 
um, that time seems to crunch. And how we yes. measure time, this is going to sound funny, but how I measure the weeks here in Durham is you know that every Sunday night you're putting the garbage cans out for a Monday pickup unless it's a, a city holiday. And every time I turn around, I'm putting the garbage cans out. And I say, what? It's Sunday night again? Another week. Thank goodness I'm still here. It's just, it's how we measure time. So, Anna, thank you very much for that. We're going to move quickly into our predictions. And I'm going to see if we can keep you all to about 90 seconds for each prediction explanation because you sent me such wonderful predictions and we have less than 20 minutes left to the show. We're just having too much fun talking, which is what it's all about. And that's perfectly fine. So, Court, I'm going to go with your prediction number one. Rather than encouraging people to migrate to the same language, technology allows for the flourishing of many languages. Court, 90 seconds. What does this mean for your prediction number one? Sure, I think this is a worldwide trend, but let's look specifically at the United States. There was a movement to try to make sure that everyone spoke English. My mother was an elementary school teacher in Texas, and during the 60s, 70s, and 80s, less, less so in the 80s, but in the 60s and 70s, the school districts were told to tell parents of Latinos to only speak English, that it would hurt them if they were bilingual. Now, I actually had a friend in the early 90s in, um, in Texas, whose father was the head of bilingual education for the state of Texas, and he spoke less Spanish than I did. And when he did try, he spoke with a strong accent, because even his father had said, you, we can't teach you Spanish. Now, what we understand is that with the advent of technology, we can consume media from all over the world. You want to watch a, a show uh, in Spanish or in French or in Mandarin? You can find a streaming way to do that because technology has made the cost of making long distance calls much more, uh, much less expensive. That there's a reason to keep up with languages. And if we're even going to look at, for example, in the, in the name of commerce, the ability to speak a language, even though English is in many times used as sort of an international language of commerce, the ability to speak another language allows for there to be an even exchange of culture. So I'm convinced that what we're seeing with technology is the flourishing of uh, smaller languages because communities can find each other. D'accord. J'agree. Bien sûr. Pourquoi pas? Aha. Un peu. I remember a little. I was very immersed. I won a couple of French awards in junior high school and high school. Who knew? Now it's just a little bit. Sarah Carberry, I'm looking at prediction number two. I love this one. Technology will level the playing field on Main Street USA. I'm not sure where that is anymore, but you can explain it to us. It might be MainStreetUSA.com or .org or .something. Uh, bringing more discoverability of Black Plus and Latino-owned businesses. Very important prediction. Sarah, talk to me. So the reason I'm making the prediction is based on data uh, that we have in terms of what people are searching for at this moment. Uh, especially in the height of COVID, what we've seen um, continuously, people are searching for how do I support Black-owned businesses, Latino-owned businesses. Uh, and I'll give you, it was a thousand percent increase in, in the number of searches, especially at the height of the racial justice movement uh, in the summer. So what we did at Google, we actually partnered with the U.S. Black Chambers at, to make sure that we could help to bring more discoverability of those Black-owned businesses. So we gave them the opportunity to uh, assign uh, uh, this attribute. It's a Black heart that they can uh, put on their merchant center, their digital experience. And then anytime a consumer, anyone, anyone searches for a black owned business on Google, 
Google search itself or Google Maps, you can actually see those uh, particular businesses rise to the top. So we're really excited uh, uh, about bringing, again, more discoverability. So it actually can help them not just in main, their main street, local main street, be more discoverable, but actually bring that um, awareness and access to anybody around the world or, you know, especially um, in, in our country. Uh, Latino-owned businesses also, you know, we have seen some data where Latinx uh, businesses have been adversely affected. Uh, based on COVID, 86% are seeing a significant shift uh, in in their in their business. Some, you know, I would say half, unfortunately, are saying that they might close in the next six months. So, not to be kind of a Debbie Downer here, but just to recognize, okay, we know that's true. What can we do? So, at Google, we actually during our Hispanic Awareness Month, which is going on right now. Mm-hmm. We launched a campaign to bring more awareness, creating you know those Latino-owned businesses as the superheroes of of the of the campaign, uh, and it's called Buscándole, which means uh, really recognizes you know search search for something, but also it's recognizing the resilience of the Latino community. And there has been always that quest you know quest for the American dream and to do better. Uh, so we really want to support those small businesses. And that's, again, where we're looking to raise that level of awareness and partner with different uh, NGOs to make sure that we're helping them thrive in, during this time. So I do believe that so many other businesses are really going to help uh, particular um, communities and small business owners. Bank of America just announced billion dollars that over the next course of you know years in minority areas, we're really looking to support the economic empowerment. We see Visa supporting Black female-owned businesses in partnership with iFundWomen.com. You have Sephora, who's opened up more shelf space for Black-owned brands. So I feel like there's so much work that's being done at a corporate level, but even in in local Main Street USA to really help uh, support these businesses. Thank you very much, Sarah. Very interesting. And a key word to me that jumped out from what you said, you're going to be surprised at this, is resiliency. That's what it's taking for any business to survive. Did you know that the U.S. auto industry, the assembly lines, the production manufacturers were shut for 45 days this year? 45 days, not a I, I do a show with the OESA Original Equipment Suppliers Association, radio show called Automotive Insiders. Who knew? Resiliency, that's the key. But when you talk about minority-owned businesses, they've been trying to find that resiliency way before the pandemic, right? They needed even more. I just think, isn't it nice to have businesses owned by so many different types of people, types of companies, and becoming a resilient consumer, because we look outside the box and we say, that looks interesting. That Oh, let's find out who's behind that company. I want to know who they are. I think that's the way we should approach what we buy, how we consume. Just me, just me talking. Diego, I'm up to your prediction. I'm going to number two because you already mentioned about the democratization of content production, which was great uh, a few minutes ago. So prediction number two, Diego wrote me uh, a, a novel. I'm not going to say great American novel, a great novel. And I love the detail. I asked him for details, but let me do this. He says, technology will allow for entertainment to be customized and personalized. Already, we can choose movies to watch from a nearly inexhaustible supply of content based on our personal preferences and the algorithm's recommendation. And I always say, with artificial intelligence, machine learning, there's a human being who wrote that damn algorithm, and there are biases inherent in those algorithms. That's 
the way it is. And it may always be that way until they produce their own unbiased. So Diego, talk to me about personalization, customization of media. We love it. Go ahead. Sure. So it's two things, but uh, they're closely related. And uh, I'm going to start by saying that you're right. Somebody had to write the algorithm and there are biases, but uh, the algorithms have become so good because they are learning from all the people that use them, right? So to use myself as an example, uh, I'm a progressive rock nerd and I like really obscure bands. Hmm. So thanks to Spotify, you know, you go into Spotify, uh, you type in one band uh, or song that you want to listen to, and it starts recommending similar songs. And if you let it uh, go its way and uh, you uh, star or love some of those songs, it's going to start getting more and more personalized. And I have discovered some bands that have maybe like 300 followers, 6,000 plays on Spotify. I mean, these, these guys are unknown, but the music is phenomenal. And I would never have found that without the algorithm. Because I don't care how, how much of a music nerd you are, you are not <laughs> going to know of some tiny little band with three songs from uh, Norway or Sweden or so, you know, but you can find all that music online. And that's, to me, that's amazing. Uh, the other thing that I was talking about is how the technology will customize that content. And uh, I'm sure that you all have seen what the researchers are doing now with uh, deep fakes, you know, where they can put someone's face on, a, on an actor's body and oh, it's yeah. very, very natural. Oh, yeah. So, I think we're very close to the point that movies and entertainment is going to be rendered in real time. There's already procedurally generated music that sounds pretty good, to be honest. But I, I, I see a future where, for example, you may have Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt or uh, some of these big name Hollywood actors doing the motion capture and the computer is going to render the film in real time for the audience. So if you're in China, you may get a, a Chinese version of Tom Cruise. Wow. You know, uh, and it's going to be doing the, uh, the translation and everything in real time. I think that we're approaching that point. I mean, the computing horsepower, and, and Sarah can probably speak to this, but uh, Google has been investing a lot. And I see some experiments on YouTube that are amazing. So this, this may be five, 10 years down the road, but we're getting to that point that the content is going to be customized to your particular preferences. Uh, the Japanese are also doing a lot of great work with uh, virtual actors in that sense. So. Diego, five to 10 years is just right around the corner. You're on a show called Technology Revolution, the future of now. And that future is my, as the intro said, is any second now. Sarah, do you want to make a comment uh, about something that uh, Google's doing on this, this new reality in terms of customized content? Anything you want to add? Uh, well, we've invested in um, in gaming uh, for sure as a company, and uh, in terms of from a YouTube standpoint, we are looking to bring real time uh, live streaming. Right is is so important, and giving people access around the world to to content uh, that would be otherwise just relegated to that local region. So I, I hear what you're saying, and kind of riffing off of that, Diego, uh, something that we're really proud of that is going to happen in October. October is our HBCU homecoming. So if this would have been really just primarily focused on HBCU, you know, students or the alum based on on-campus activity. We're actually bringing it to a virtual experience because they can't have their homecoming right now. So this is the unfortunate, you know, situation. But uh, but fortunately, technology is allowing people to have that experience still. Not the same, but but giving more of that um, sense of pride and celebration of that cultural moment. 
and it's allowing people to access that content who may not be a student or an alum. So it really is helping to allow people to embrace and participate in a cultural moment that they would have otherwise not been able to to participate in. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm I'm really excited about bringing access and, and experiences and helping to allow other people to participate in, in cultures that are not their own. The next best thing to being there. Anna, we have time for your prediction number three. I'm going to read it briefly and ask you, and then we're going to do closing statements. This has just been a lovely conversation. I can't tell you, this show should be two hours or three hours today because of all of you. And I, Court knows how pleased I am. So uh, Anna told me the following. She said, multiculturalism will be one of the main drivers of innovation within the technological space in the immediate future. And she can tell me how many times I have to take out my garbage before the immediate future. Well, you know what I mean. It's a metaphor. Uh, She says, in order to be able to predict human behavior, an in-depth understanding of how culture drives behavior, and those behaviors manifest themselves differently among different cultures, is imminent. Anna, this sounds very interesting. Talk to me. Sure. Well, culture is what shapes us, right? It really, culture shapes who we are, who we think we are, our identity, and really our way of being. And more specifically, it refers to the shared language, beliefs, values, norms, behaviors, and specifically behaviors. One of the things that technology is is doing and continues to do and will continue to do is try to find a way to best emulate behavior and emulate emotion. As the consumer base becomes increasingly more multicultural, then the ability for technology to remain relevant amid this changing demographic is going to lie on its ability to capture how that behavior is being shaped and impacted by multiculturalism. So it's almost like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Behavior drives culture, culture drives behavior, and you have technology trying to you know, artificial intelligence, trying to emulate how people behave, how people, how people's uh, identities are being reshaped. So technology and behavior and multiculturalism need to work together in order to remain uh, successful and be able to, to get us to where we need to be in the near future. Thank you, Anna. Wonderful predictions. We only got to one each, but I think you were adding your predictions into all of your comments all along. So thank you for all doing doing the work and sending them to me. We have, let's see, three and a half minutes left, and I need to do that call to action again for the developer app developer challenge for monday.com. So I got to have time for that. So I'm going to limit you. Don't be mad at me, panel. One sentence, major prediction, overview of what you see about multiculturalism, using Diego's phrase, panculturalism in terms of uh, diversity, technology, the future. Want to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Maybe it's the harmony. We don't even know how perfect, what perfect would mean. Maybe that's something we haven't decided yet. Court Stroud, one sentence prediction. Go ahead. We will see the end of text-based content to the same degree that we see the end of the use of cursive among young people. Whoa! I grew up when they were teaching cursive. You're killing me here. Okay, Sarah Carberry at Google. What's your one sentence prediction? This is good. 
Culture-driven marketing will become synonymous with data-driven marketing. What that means is that people will start with what that cultural mindset is, and then that will lead to whatever that insight is, that will lead to a successful way to transact, do business, gain loyalty. That's, that's how marketers will start. Thank you, Diego Lastra. Well, I think that as things continue to get crazier and media becomes more fragmented and we start relying more on the algorithm, we are going to start to see that the algorithm is going to have a lot more human input. Uh, and what I mean by that is that the focus has been on AI and letting the algorithm do its thing and uh, it's all kinds of algorithms. But it's getting to the point that to grow, you need to start building more of a human component into, into how everything works. So I think that this is also going to help bring the world together in a, in a way that we have not imagined before. I like that, a positive way we haven't imagined before. Anna Crandall, talk to me. One sentence or you can have two. They all took two. Go ahead, except for <laughs> he did one. One sentence and it's short and sweet. Multiculturalism will be the new mainstream. Ooh, I like that. Brief and multiculturalism will be the new mainstream. Six words. I think that was the, the fastest one yet. I want to do a <laughs> quick reminder, a call to action, our exciting offer here, Monday Apps Challenge. Monday Apps Challenge is bringing developers around the world together and hopefully through this show to compete to build apps that can improve the way teams work together on monday.com. It's M-O-N-D-A-Y.com. Whether it's to help marketing, construction, sales, software developers, anybody, any industry, any type of role, anything in between. We're looking for impactful out of the box and simply amazing apps to include and even feature in the upcoming apps marketplace. Go check it out, everyone, please. This is the code for my show, monday.com forward slash future. I'll spell it M-O-N-D-A-Y.com forward slash F-U-T-U-R-E, lowercase. That means no caps and no cursive, right? Whoever said that, no cursive. Just type it out on the keyboard, nothing fancy. A big shout out. Let's do a shout out to Susan Corzo for introducing me to Eddie and introducing me to Court. Thank you, Susan Corso. A big shout out to Court Stroud for introducing me to Sarah Carberry and Diego Lastra and Anna Crandall. Everybody clap for Court. A big shout out to Ryan Treasure, the voice of my opening on my show, my co-producer. Yay, Ryan. Ryan and I are birthday twins. Mom had us about a couple of decades apart. It was different moms. We had our birthday last Wednesday and we celebrated together. We're doing now a little podcast, uh, Zoom live streamed on Facebook called Radio Red and Radio Ryan Rambling. Okay, it's not too cool, but it's, it's fun, though. And now a shout out to Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire, who calls himself my sidekick because we've been working together. Thank you, Aaron. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, somebody tells you the future is already here. You say, look him in the eye. Be very serious and say, no, you're wrong. The future of now is about to happen, and we're all going to make it a better one. Everybody have a good one. Be safe. Be smart. Be savvy. Wear your damn mask. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. 